Have you ever wished for magical powers? Do you still await your Hogwarts acceptance letter? Well, welcome to Hogwarts. You are magical. And this is your invitation to join us in exploring the psychology behind the most magical series, Harry Potter. Welcome to Harry Potter Therapy. Hello, all you magical people out there, and thank you so much for tuning in to Harry Potter Therapy. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time witch. So today, we are going to be covering The Prisoner of Azkaban, Chapter 15, The Quidditch Final. At the end of the last chapter, we found out that Hagrid lost his case and Buckbeak is sentenced to death. How'd it go, Hagrid? The hearing? Well, first off, the committee members took turns talking about why we were there. And then I got up and did my piece, said how Buckbeak was a good hippogriff, always clean his feathers. And then Lucius Malfoy got up. Well, you can imagine, he said. Buckbeak was a deadly and dangerous creature who would kill you as soon as look at you. And then? And then he asked for the worst, did old Lucius? I'm not sacking you. Though I'm not sacked. Buckbeak's been sentenced to death! Hermione is distraught, and the interesting thing is after reading Hagrid's letter to Hermione, Ron becomes more proactive and tells her that they're going to fight it together and she won't have to fight alone anymore. She immediately hugs him and is overwhelmed with joy. What is it about common goals that can mend friendships and bring people together? Well, I think especially at a time of grief, at a time of hardship, when people are able to support one another and either offer support or receive support, they're more likely to feel closer to the other person. In fact, when we either give or receive support, our bodies release that hormone that we keep talking so much about, oxytocin, that can allow us to soothe some of our pain that we're going through and feel closer to the other person. And so, for Ron to be able to offer to help Hermione, I imagine was really, really meaningful to her. And it allowed them to band together and put some of their conflicts and their differences aside. Yeah. Hermione also apologizes about scabbers and Ron downplays his worth as a pet at this point, which I find really interesting. He calls him useless and tells her that maybe his parents will get him an owl now. It seems that the apology was really more important than his rat <laughs> at this point. I don't know. But what are your thoughts on Ron's behavior here? A lot of times when people feel invalidated, like I imagine Ron felt when Hermione sort of disregarded his anxiety and his fear about losing his rat that he's had his whole life really then people feel really angry and and i imagine defensive and frustrated but the opposite is true too that when people feel validated and supported when they receive the apology that they needed they're more likely to support the other person and help them to save face I don't necessarily think that Ron was valuing the apology over Scabbers. I think it was more that he wanted to show Hermione that they're okay now, that he forgives her, and that, that she doesn't have to apologize anymore. Hagrid 
in this situation blames himself for Buckbeak's fate. Although Hermione helped Hagrid prepare for the hearing and he had notes with facts and dates, his anxiety got the better of him. He dropped his notes and fumbled his words and he really felt the pressure from this like black robed committee that was just surrounding him and just peering at him and making him the center of attention. Even if we're fully prepared for something, how do our anxieties and self-induced pressures affect our behaviors when we're put on the spot like this? Well, it's interesting because if we're an expert at something, if we are well-trained in something, then for many people, having an audience can actually make them even better. But when we are not well-trained in something, like Hagrid, for example, is not an expert in being a public speaker or a teacher, then sometimes having an audience can actually make that person's skills appear to be worse than they actually are. And I think for Hagrid, there's a lot going on here. First of all, he's not an experienced public speaker. Second of all, I imagine he was really anxious in general about speaking in front of these officials. But third of all, there was a lot of pressure on him to defend Bugbeak. And I think as a result of that, he had an anxiety or maybe even a panic attack and had a really hard time remembering what he needed to say. And I think at least some of us can probably relate to that. I've certainly had moments where I had to give a talk where I felt so overwhelmed that words didn't come out right and mm -hmm. I didn't quite express what I wanted to express. And I think it's so relatable. And in Hagrid's case, it's so much more intense than giving a speech because now it's essentially a friend's life that's on the line. And to Hagrid, all of the animals that he ever takes care of are his friends. He loves his friends. I, I feel so bad for Hagrid in this situation. Well, he does. And ever since he was kicked out of Hogwarts for a crime he didn't commit, Dumbledore and all the animals of the Forbidden Forest were really his only friends. And I think that Harry, Ron, and Hermione have been his first human friends other than Dumbledore, you know, in years. Yeah. Speaking about not having very many friends at this moment, he's kind of a target for bullies like Draco Malfoy, for instance. And Lucius Malfoy. Yeah, well, at the hearing for sure. But in Hagrid's Care of Magical Creatures class, Draco Malfoy starts making fun of Hagrid. He points out that he's blubbering and isn't fit to teach them. I honestly think that it's really brave to show your feelings and show that you care about something so much that it hurts. What do you think about Hagrid's display of emotions in front of his class like this about Buckbeat? 100%. I think that a lot of people think that displaying emotions is a sign of weakness, but nothing could be further from the truth. We're most terrified of being truly seen, of being vulnerable, of letting other people see inside our heart, inside our soul. And by it being the most terrifying thing for most humans, there, it makes it the most courageous thing of which we're capable. And so for Hagrid being so authentic, so open and so vulnerable with his students, I think that he's incredibly courageous and really admirable too. Yeah. Interestingly enough, after Malfoy insults Hagrid, Hermione has just had enough. I mean, she snaps. She walks up to Malfoy and just smacks him across the face like Bruce Lee style. <laughs> 
and she lets loose and becomes really threatening to Malfoy. I can't believe they're going to kill Buckbeak. It's just too horrible. It just got worse. Did I tell you, Father said I can keep the hippogriff's head. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've donated to the Gryffindor's common. Wicked. Oh, <laughs> Look who's here. Ah, come to see the show. You, you foul, loathsome, them evil little cockroach. Hermione, no. He's not worth it. Malfoy, you okay? Let's go. Quick. That felt good. Not good. Brilliant. I love that part. <laughs> yeah. And she becomes so threatening that he retreats with his buddies. He actually leaves the whole scene. Doesn't say anything, kind of, except for let's get out of here. I feel a great deal of connection to Hermione here. I personally can snap like that when my patience runs out. It might take a lot to reach my limit, but once it's reached, I mean, I unleash the wrath of 10 bears and I get it. I know I'm not the only one out there that bottles up my frustrations and my anger until it explodes. Besides smacking a bully back, what is the danger of bottling emotions up like this? And what's the best way to release these type of frustrations? Great question. Thank you. Physical violence doesn't really solve things. But, you know, Hermione standing up for Hagrid was really important here because she herself knows what it's like to be bullied. And as you remember, especially in the previous book, she was bullied for being muggle-born. And I think some of the best ways to let out your frustrations would be to talk to friends, right? To vent to friends or other supportive individuals, to vent to therapists, mm -hmm. to write out your frustrations, and also to stand up to the bully verbally in terms of letting them know that they can't get away with that kind of behavior anymore. Yeah. Throughout this book, we're offered glimpses of Hermione magically appearing in one place after she was just in another or completely disappearing. She seemingly has the ability of being in multiple places at one time. At this time in the book, we don't know why or how this is possible, but due to the great and magnificent power of spoilers and the reality that this book has been out for 17 years now, I have no shame in discussing her use of the Time Turner. The Time Turner is a magical object that resembled a hourglass on a necklace. This object allowed the wearer to travel back in time. Being the exceptional student that she is, Hermione was given this object by Professor McGonagall so that she could attend more classes. However, the stress of the additional classes eventually catches up with her and she experiences extreme stress and eventually burnout. So much so that she actually drops out of divination and muggle studies because she thinks they're pointless anyway. Can you discuss this level of stress and the seriousness of burnout? Absolutely. And thank you for asking me this question. A lot of people think that burnout just means being tired, but that's not actually true. Burnout refers to our resources being less than the demands on us. So usually it means that we're, uh, we're getting a depletion of our mental and physical resources. For Hermione, who's taking just about double the workload that any student ought to be taking, she's probably sleep deprived given the amount of studying that she's doing. She's stressed out. And when that happens, people are more likely to 
feel really overwhelmed. They're more likely to be short with others, more likely to snap at others. It's possible that she might not have slapped Draco had she not <laughs> been so irritated and yeah. burnt out. And for some people, unfortunately, burnout can lead to depression or anxiety attacks and in some cases, suicidal thoughts. And when that occurs, when any of these occur, when, when people start feeling that they're burnt out, even if you're not having suicidal thoughts, it's important to scale back a bit. Sometimes it might be important to drop one or two responsibilities on your plate or more, and it might be important to focus on your health. A lot of people feel really guilty if they have to step away from some of their responsibilities, but the truth is that can be the wisest thing that you do in that moment because by allowing you to reduce the responsibilities that you're carrying, it's allowing you to recharge and have a better outcome on the responsibilities that you have left. Mm -hmm. I know we've discussed this on another podcast before, but it's a very serious thing, burnout. You can actually die from it. Yes, a lot of people don't actually know this, but in Japan, there is actually a term called karoshi. Karoshi refers to death by burnout. And this term was coined because so many professionals in Japan in their 30s were dying from strokes or heart attacks from working 90 or 100 hour weeks. And a lot of times we might not realize how many hours we're actually working, especially during the pandemic when some of us might be working from home and we might be working late nights or working on weekends. And our body can only take so much emotional and mental energy. And so if we're depleted and we're not recharging, something's gonna have to give. And I myself have really struggled with health difficulties and had to go to the hospital on two occasions due to the effects that burnout created on my own health a few years ago. Thankfully, I was able to recover from that. And I think there's really word of caution here in terms of being mindful of our burnout. And as of 2019, World Health Organization recognizes burnout as a medical issue, as a medical concern. And therefore, I think it's really important for us to be paying attention to our levels of burnout, to take it seriously, and also to allow our body to recharge in the same way as we allow our phones to recharge <laughs> so that we can work most efficiently. Right. Speaking of pressures, the Quidditch Cup between Slytherin and Gryffindor is steadily approaching. And Gryffindor hadn't won the Quidditch Cup in many years. And being the seeker, all the burden of winning is largely on Harry's shoulders. This chapter is just full of stress. Hagrid, Hermione, and now Harry. All the H's. Ha! <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Triple H! <laughs> Harry obviously wants to win and is just putting a lot of pressure on himself. But add on the pressure he's getting from everyone else, especially Oliver Wood, and it's a recipe for disaster. I mean, everybody is looking. Ravenclaws, Hufflepuffs, the only ones that don't want Gryffindor to win is pretty much the Slytherin side. Harry is under so much stress that he's having nightmares where the Slytherin team is riding on dragons instead of brooms. <laughs> How does this type of pressure affect those who are already in the grips of anxiety? Well, I think many of us can relate to something like that. Whether or not you're an athlete, whether you've had deadlines at work or at school, 
I think that some of us have these kind of stressful events and, you know, maybe even nightmares. I still sometimes have nightmares that I'm late to teach a class, even though I no longer teach. And it's because of this terror, you know, that I've always had whenever I was teaching that I might oversleep and miss the class that I had to teach and my students would, you know, would be angry, disappointed <laughs> with me. And I think that it happens to a lot of people. And so recognizing it and maybe doing some guided imagery and some breathing exercises can be helpful, as is talking to other people about this and probably even recognizing that you're not alone in this. Although Harry's the only seeker and undoubtedly has the most pressure on him of the entire Gryffindor team, every player on that team is carrying quite a bit of pressure too. It's a big responsibility, I guess, for those Gryffindors. And of course, Harry catches the snitch and Gryffindor wins the House Cup. And Harry has this new amazing memory to conjure up his Patronus with. And that's where we're going to go ahead and end this episode. So thanks so much for joining us today for the Harry Potter Therapy Podcast. Again, my name is Dustin McGinnis. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on Twitter at Shadow Quill or Dr. Janina Scarlett Official on Instagram. For all of our listeners out there, we are sending out free signed copies of Dr. Scarlett's book, Harry Potter Therapy, an unauthorized self-help book from the restricted section. To enter the drawing, all you have to do is tweet about this podcast with the hashtag Harry Potter Therapy. We will choose one lucky listener every month to receive their free copy. Unfortunately, due to high postage costs, international listeners will not be eligible for this promotion. Stay kind out there, everybody. Stay magical and take care. The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, prevention, diagnosis, counseling, treatment, or other services. Always consult a mental health professional before engaging in any activities discussed in this podcast. Thank you for listening.